0: The non-compete allows us to not worry that somebody is 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 being brought in, sort of giving the know-how of how the business might run, you know, anywhere from payer contracts to productivity at different sites to hospital contracts if they wanted a hospital contract. You know, they can know all those details and we can be share, we can share that and help them. They can help us guide those, you know, help put those things in place and 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 grow a business.
1: Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 119, Part B of APM Success. This is an episode that is following up to some prior content from episode 115. So you may remember the con- conversation around the uh, non-compete antitrust things happening in-, in Washington with Bellingham Anesthesia Associates. After publishing that episode, I was fortunate to have a conversation with the president of that group, Dr. Scott Vanderleest. Dr. Vanderleest is joining us today to share a little bit more background and context about this circumstance that his practice had to navigate recently as it relates to employment agreements for their physicians, and is going to provide some really helpful color to allow us to understand the way forward for private groups of his profile. So Dr. Vanderlist, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Justin. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come in here and present a little bit of the other side of the story and uh, appreciate your your honesty in your first podcast, but then also your honesty in uh, taking, this, uh, taking me as a guest.
1: Absolutely. I will say after <laughs> rereading some of the uh, the press release content around that, you know, the, the consent decree and the arrangement that you, the agreement that you had reached with the AG, it was uh, <laughs> it was just very loaded sounding. And after having spoken with you, I know our listeners are going to enjoy hearing the other side of the story so that they can be informed about these things.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: For starters, why don't you just give us a little context about your role in the group and a little bit about your career? Sure.
0: Bellingham Anesthesia is a group of, well, we're around 50 anesthesiologists. We're a physician-only group that provides anesthesia care. For Bellingham is where we started, and then we've grown uh, over the years, haven't changed our name, but uh, we started in the the 90s and then kind of incorporated and early 2000s, right around 2000, that time was 17 or 18 docs. And then uh, over the course of several years to where we are now of of up to 53. And uh, we're an all physician group. Uh, We're all partners or on a partnership track. We are currently uh, two years to partnership. So you come in as an associate with the expectation you'll become a partner within two years. And then we do have a couple 1099 employees. They're mostly former partners that have retired or semi-retired and want to do a, a little bit here or there are willing to help us out a little bit here or there. And so they would be the only exception to the partnership partnership or partnership tract. We uh, started serving uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in uh, Bellingham here. It's a peace health facility. And then 2007, this was before my, my time with the group, we expanded to cover Skagit Valley Hospital down in Mount Vernon, which is the town just south of Bellingham, Washington. During that time, we also started with, uh, you know, in that time period, we've also started with several ASCs, and so now cover about seven ASCs, and then two major hospitals, and then both those hospitals have smaller hospitals, so Peace Health has two other hospitals that are small, critical access hospitals that we also cover, and then we started this last year covering another hospital in the Skagit uh, Regional Health System um, at the next, next town south, which is the town of Arlington. It's been organic growth all those years. Sites have grown. They've grown in their services they offer, the number of ORs they have, the ASCs, new ASCs have been built, and we've uh, kind of organically grown to cover those at those sites' requests. For my own personal story here, I grew up in Michigan and then uh, went to school in Michigan, joined the Army to help pay for med school, Uh, did my residency with the Army at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C., and then and some payback time in central Texas at Fort Hood, including one free trip to Iraq. And then uh, and then joined uh, Bellingham Anesthesia in 2011, when, when the uh, Army said I could go. And I've been here since then. I became the president uh, four years ago. I'm in my fourth year. And that's where we kind of find ourselves as a group and,
1: and me personally. What duties does being the president entail for a group like yours?
0: Yeah, so... I oversee the hiring of new associates, oversee the contract negotiations we have with the hospitals or the ASCs, oversee those contracts we have with commercial payers. You know, we we think of ourselves as kind of a small business. So we have an administrative staff of one practice administrator, an office manager, another administrative assistant, but otherwise we're all physicians. So we kind of light on top and then we have outsourced some of our you know, billing and accounting and stuff like that. Uh, small business, I, I have my fingers in just about everything to varying degrees. Pretty much anything's fair game to come across my desk.
1: Yeah, excellent. So talk a little bit about, you know, what's happened the last few years, because in the in the podcast we referenced before, you know, again, episode 115, anybody wants to check it out, apmsuccess.com slash 115. There's been this sort of macro trend of, moving towards more uh, permissive or employee-friendly employment agreements. And then there's the state-specific challenges or dynamics, I'll call them, as well. So talk about your experience of that in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. So uh, Washington State made uh, some changes that you referenced in your prior podcast of that went into effect in 2020 to the non-compete uh, statutes. And BAA, since at the beginning, had always had a three-year non-compete with for all physicians, so whether they were associates or partners, there was always that three-year non-compete. In uh, 2019, we adjusted our rules to to become in compliance with that. So as you referenced, the employed employed physicians that in our case was, was associates, that is people that were in the first two years of practice and not partners yet, we reduced that down to 18 months to be in compliance with the law. And then our 1090, 1099 uh, employees, like I said, they're more retired and kind of fill in. So none of them met that income threshold of over $250,000. So we took the non-compete out of the 1099 contracts completely. We have an annual group meeting, official group meeting where we discuss business matters. We discussed it pretty heavily at that time. The shareholder or partner non-compete and you know our legal counsel i think advised us and 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 sort of left it up to us at that stage and so we discussed you know if we wanted to change that at all and i don't think there was really much desire to to change it we thought three years was fair and and so we left it at at three years and we, we we felt we were in compliance with the statutes in washington state that went into effect in 2020.
1: And so that was the time at which, you know, you're, you're essentially taking proactive measures to try to get out in front of this, you know, this change in the rules. You made those changes. And then at some point, you received word from your friends in the state capitol that further action was going to be necessary. Talk about that.
0: Correct. So they, um, I believe it was in the spring of 2020, we received notice from the, um, the state attorney general that a complaint had been lodged against us for having an excessive share of the market and for having an overly broad and overly uh, burdensome non-compete clause in our contracts. You can't we can't know who or what entity filed that complaint with the state. It doesn't really matter. But anyways, they sent us a long, I believe it was 37 pages of of questions, you know, provide these documents. What do you think about this that it was fairly labor intensive and we complied and, and and did our best to work with them. And then we didn't hear from them for a, a fairly lengthy period of time. I was sort of waiting for them to come back with follow-up questions or, you know, I knew there was an investigation ongoing. So I assumed they were talking to, you know, business partners, be they hospital administrators, uh, insurance company CEOs asc administrators former partners you know i figured all those were fair game and but you know i didn't really have much visibility on that and then i just figured our time would come well our time didn't really come and they served us with paper saying you know we would we'll press charges unless you agree to these terms at that point then we did have a meeting with them a zoom meeting where we we sort of argued our case you know i think it's a legitimate case it's not Uh, We can talk about this later on, but it it wasn't just, we don't like what you're saying. We want to keep doing things are, but I mean, we had legitimate reasons for why we had done things. So then they ultimately came back and said, we would like you to reduce your non-competes to to nine months for uh, associates and 12 months for partners. And then you may not have any uh, exclusive agreements with ambulatory surgery centers, or as they call them, non-acute care facilities. We really had just two of those really only one was, was very much what you might call a non-compete by most definitions. So we said, you know, we're a small business, you know, it's 2021. We've all been through this past year and a half of, of COVID. There's lots of stresses on, on us and the mark and uh, our markets. You know, we've, we, uh, we can't really afford to, to take this into courtroom and, uh, paid all the legal bills that could associate with that. Even though we, we felt we had a pretty strong case. If you if we uh, if we didn't prevail in, in in court, which is, of course always that gamble, you know, then the fees would be even higher. We we entered uh, this consent decree. It's kind of like a plea agreement, you know, where we don't admit any wrong. They don't have claim that we did anything wrong. They can allege whatever they want, but they, they don't claim that we did any wrong anything wrong. And then we uh, agreed to their terms.
1: What was the uh, consensus among your partners? Was it like we just want to make this thing go away? Was there were there, were there some who were like, "Let's go to the mattresses"? And, yeah, you know-
0: I would say initially there were definitely some uh, people, myself included, probably that thought the claim was quite meritless. We vehemently just dis- disagreed with it and wanted to fight that. But I think after time went on, and you know, we we paid significant legal bills to get to the consent decree, and then you know they. I said, you know, here's a $110,000 fine or pay our legal fees of $110,000 is, is what the consent decree said. I think at that point, you know, it starts to be real money that we're all as partners uh, foregoing. We didn't feel that the terms were uh, that onerous and felt like we'd rather uh, settle rather than, you know, continue to pay these these mounting legal bills.
1: Tell me about the way that you perceive this, the newer, shorter... Restriction for for non compete for your employees did you did your any you or any of your partners say this is going to be a real problem for us if there's only nine months or is it is it something where you're like we don't really see this as a problem or an issue and whether it's nine months or eighteen months or a year it kind of is immaterial and here's why I'm asking just for a little more color for the listeners like I I was looking at this and twelve months for a shareholder and nine months for a, a, an employee was. For for any where a non-compete exists, that's like the shortest that I have seen. There are some companies or some regions where they're unenforceable or that just don't use them. So that would be, I guess, an exception.
0: I, I don't think that I don't think that we think they're, you know, the death of our, our corporation. I think I need I'm struggling here a little bit because I think I need to back up because I think you need to kind of say, well, why why do you, why would you have a non-compete? Right. I think there's many reasons for that. Not all of them, I think, are favorable, but I think some of them are favorable. So let me let me back up and talk about that a second. If, you know, this is what we one of the things we argued to the um, attorney general's office is that there are pro competitive effects of of having a non compete, and that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but it's actually there's you know it, it's not and it's not. We didn't argue it cynically, trying to you know kind of trying to. You know, blow smoke into their face or something. This was a, le- a legitimate argument, and and there's legal thought that supports this. That the non compete helps us to function as a cohesive group. So we bring everybody in as a full intention that they're going to become a partner within two years. We have a very, very good track record of that happening. I can't say it's 100% because there have been occasions where, you know, there just hasn't been a good personality fit or people have had some issues or whatnot, but those are very, very rare. And so we have bring people in with that full intent. They're going to be partners from day one. They start to get the same access to to cases, to work, to call, <laughs> for better and for worse. You know, they're, they're treated like partners, even though we don't call them a partner right away. They have that two years until they become a partner. But the reason that I think that that works for us is because we're all a cohesive unit that functions uh, with the same goal in mind. And we share, you know, how our business practices, we share how much everybody in the group gets paid. We share what we collect from each site. Everybody knows, of course, knows our schedule for the week where anybody's going. So we're very, very egalitarian, right? And I, and I think that the, non, the non-compete allows us to not worry that somebody is, is, is being brought in, sort of giving the know-how of how the business might run, you know, anywhere from payer contracts to productivity at different sites to hospital contracts, if they wanted a hospital contract, you know, they can know all those details and we can be shared. We can share that and help them. They can help us guide those, you know, help put those things in place and, and, and grow a business versus if you don't have a non-compete, you know, there's highly high variability in, in the production or the, income that can be earned from different sites, right? The payer mix, the efficiencies, the volumes, all that stuff, and it's highly variable. And the workload can be variable, right? So hospitals come of course with call hours, holiday obligations, and weekend obligations that surgery centers do not. The Pair mix typically is better at surgery centers. And so I think the the worry is that you might bring in someone with nefarious intentions that comes in, learns your business, learns what is most lucrative, and then tries to make a better deal with one of those sites. And now you've you've lost a site that was one good business, but also allowed you, us to hire more folks to then dilute the, which dilutes the amount of call we all have to take. So it makes for a better work environment for the group, which then benefits the the community because that's ultimately what the attorney general is concerned about. Because you're now allowed, you're you're able to hire high quality folks that want to come in and be a part of that community. They're not locums that are just transiently passing through and aren't invested, but you have people that come in, they can, you know, be part of this small business that we are and learn the community and, and, uh, you know, be high quality, quite high quality anesthesiologists that that benefits the the community. So that's why we had the non-compete is to, to focus the group into a common mission, right? common mission of providing the best care that we can for our community our fellow citizens the people we live with in these communities you know we don't have these distractions of oh i saw so and so talking to so and so they're I'm, I'm sure they're you know contriving something over there right so you have a cohesive mission and so you know when you look at that then what do we think about the the law or the 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 shortening of those non-competes you know, I think people, anesthesiologists, physicians in general, I think most most of them could could probably stand to do locums or perhaps not work even for a whole year and then come and do that sort of behavior, even if they, you know, if they follow the the law of or the you know, the short and non-compete. But you know, it, it's all about hiring good folks and making it an attractive place to work within BAA rather than kind of having those barriers up if you will which i think is a point you made in your first podcast which i think we do i think we've always tried to do that right that's why we're partners That's why everybody's on that track there's not different classes of folks it's one less guardrail against that um hopefully i I, you know i don't perceive that it's going to dramatically change it i don't think it's devastating to the group so it is what it
1: is Yeah, that makes sense. One other thing I want to mention, you know, when I said there's groups out there that have no non-compete, every case I can think of, there's still sort of the caveat that you can't do what you're doing at the same site where you're doing it. You might be able to walk across the street to another hospital or another site of service, but you can't, you know, start doing anesthesia in a hospital where you're already doing it under your own incorporated. So even a very employee-friendly contract with no, quote unquote, no non-compete wouldn't allow you to do something like that. So that all makes perfect sense, I think. Talk a little bit about, so there's the other component, which was the the contracts at the surgery centers and the, the allegations of monopoly that you were like illegally the only game in town and exerting effort to make it so that nobody else could ever break in. Talk a little bit about that dynamic and how you processed that portion of the consent agreement.
0: Right. I mean, well, one, I don't think we ever perceived it that way. And we didn't, I don't think we ever, Uh, intended to act that way, that we had a monopoly on the market. We do have some geographic isolation up here, which is not unique to us in this country, but maybe it's unique on the West side of this uh, Washington state, right? We're not the Seattle market where one hospital here is covered by this group. And, you know, two miles down the road, there's another hospital covered by another anesthesia group. I mean, you do have to travel some distance. So, uh, so I think by kind of geographic, fluke, if you will. There was not a lot of competition here. But as I already said, you know, there was the the growth was organic. You know, we looked, sites approached us, you know, the hospitals, you know, hey, we'd like to increase, you know, the number of ORs, or the number of out of OR cases we're doing. Can we, can you help us with that? And, and of course we do, you know, a couple of new ASCs have opened and they've approached us about, hey, we would love you guys to provide the anesthesia coverage. So you know I don't think we ever uh, perceived and I don't think we ever uh, attempted to act in a manner that tried to monopolize the market. And I'd say that for anesthesia the market is, is is certainly national. You know there's there's national staffing firms that I mean I just I just last week I I heard from two uh, ASC administrators that they had been contacted by a national firm saying hey you know, we just checking in, and making sure you're happy with your anesthesia coverage. You know, they don't have a they don't have a foothold here, but they're certainly looking for it, and they're certainly uh, would be capable of of providing a, a proposal to 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 provide that coverage. So, you know, I I I think we've always we've always felt that there is competition, even if there hasn't been an actually that much of a footprint of a larger group here in in the same town. You know, and I should also point out that we work uh, alongside, particularly nurse anesthetists. We've always worked alongside a certain number of nurse anesthetists at at a couple of the ASCs. That's been longstanding. Now we work alongside some of our former partners at uh, one of the multi specialty ASCs. You know there, there there are there are in fact competitors in the market up here.
1: Another one of the catch here here is obviously you know if I'm you I'm a business owner <laughs> I want to not only protect the relationships that I have, but I want to do everything I can to make sure that the hospitals love me (laughs) and that we're well-integrated in leadership and perioperative observation and the, you know, the OR operations and the critical care and all of that. And that is going to necessarily, well, it could be perceived as anti-competitive, I suppose.
0: There's two aspects there, right? One, yes, you certainly want to be integrated in the hospital that's a common anesthesia business practice right that comes from the ASA with the perioperative home right that's one of their their selling points but there's also it's also benefits us to, to be involved to you know help provide that expert knowledge and expert insight that we have right so i mean being a perioperative cons, consultation service is, is benefits us to have healthier patients or more prepared patients coming to the OR and patients with better outcomes and that benefits the hospital right that's that's uh, I think that's why I think that's why the attorney general saw the benefit and allowed those exclusive agreements with the hospitals to stay because they see that benefit that that the uh, a an anesthesia group providing comprehensive anesthesia coverage benefits the hospitals and it benefits ultimately then patients right
1: right, and so the the consent agreement resulted in the i And maybe just clarify for me, they were, the, the ASCs and the hospitals were bundled together under the prior contract and the consent agreement sort of severed that connection. So now the surgery centers can bargain on their own if they want to.
0: Oh, no, the, the surgery centers have always been independent. The hospital doesn't, none of the hospitals that we work at have an ASC associated with them. So they've always been independent. Then they're all, um, surgeon owned. Two of the multi-specialty ones have some outside, uh, interest as well, but, They're all surgeon owned and they've always had their own contract. I mean, we have a contract with all the ASCs, you know, just, you know, we will provide anesthesia coverage for you. It's just two of them had, we'll be the exclusive provider of, of anesthesia for you. And, you know, I would point out that those two sites were agreeable and have seen their own advantages to having that. And the consent decree allows them to continue if they see benefit to it. The consent decree just doesn't allow us to enforce the non-compete from, from our end. But if the surgery centers see there's benefit to it, and by benefit, I mean, you know, they I th- you know one, it's a little simpler to just have one anesthesia group covering all your cases. And two, they do sometimes exert that as, you know, we provide all your anesthesia. Well, we need more anesthesia, so you need to provide it. You know, that that's the other side of the exclusive agreement. I mean, that's what hospitals do too, right? So yeah, the hospital, the ASC agreements were always were always separate.
1: And wrapping up here, is there anything looking back that you kind of like wish that you had done differently or had known or that if, it, if there's anyone else out there listening, who's a practice leader and trying to sort of get ahead of things a little bit that you would encourage them to think about?
0: And I've actually had these conversations with other regional practice people have called me up and said, hey, how do we not get into this, uh, into this? I think you. I think you. Uh, I think you pointed this out on your first podcast. They, I do think the attorney general was looking for a test case, if you will. And actually, I think you know this is a little bit of go inside your, their mind. But I do think that they. Um, I think that the the monopoly argument was you know a little bit weak. I think, but I think that it helped them to justify bringing that non compete portion shorter than what the, even the legislature had. Allowed, Right. There's no there's no disagreement that what we ended up agreeing to with them is more restrictive on on us as a corporation than it is on the average than what the legislature seemed to intend. So I think that we we unfortunately were sort of a test case that the that the AG was looking for. And so I think that that's consistent with kind of regionally what's happened here. I know I, I can't speak to Oregon where you are so much, but in Washington, certainly there's been a push to to limit this as evidenced by the legislature making this new law in 2020 or it went in effect in 2020. And then, of course, you know, President Biden weighed in on it earlier this year. And so I think there's a, you know, there's a tailwind for uh, legislature or attorneys general to... Uh, to pursue these sorts of things, and so, in that sense, I think it it was a somewhat wrong place, wrong time, bad luck for us. That said, you know, I think I would have I wish we would have been a little bit more aggressive in cutting down that non-compete for our sh- shareholders. You know I, I think if we if i've as I've been talking to people regionally, I think most groups did cut it down to two years or eighteen months for shareholders. So I think we were a bit of an outlier with keeping ours at at three years. But you know that's a, that's a little bit of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking there. You know, other than that, you know our growth our growth was organic. i, I I'm not sure you know are you supposed to pass up on business? I, uh, why would we pass up on business? We are a business trying to grow business. You know, did we ever engage in business practices you know that would would hurt consumers or hurt patients as consumers? We never did that. I can say that in 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 full honesty and good faith, clear conscience. There's national firms that that look to go out of network to drive their rates up. It was never our practice. We always, you know, strive for consistency with with what the region is getting, and and that's all. You know, we're not that far from Seattle, and yet we can only get, uh, you know, percentage of what what you know the rates are there. I think that you know the the uh, insurance companies have a lot of power in setting their rates. I can tell you how much power I think I have whenever those negotiations come up. They they seem to be this is our rates. You should take this or you know or not. But there's not a lot of negotiation there that goes on. There's a little bit, but it's nibbling on the edges. So you know what could you have done differently? I, I like I said, the one thing I would identify is we. I wish we had cut down our non competes to eighteen months. But other than that, you know, these things happen occasionally, and unfortunately, they get settled in the court or you know out of court because you can't afford to pay the legal bills.
1: Okay, well, I think we'll wrap. Any other parting words of wisdom, Doctor Vanderleest? Before I let you go,
0: you know, I, I just would like to say when I was listening to your uh, the first part too, I would draw a distinction between shareholder a situation of partnership like like we have, where where essentially everybody is a partner, or, or is you know will will we'll be in short order. Versus those firms that are nationally owned by larger firms, or where there's a small cohort of of owners and then a number of employees, and you know, I think that I think that that makes a distinction. You know, that's that's where I think that's a different business model. I think that the motivations for non-competes may be different in those in those models. I think the beneficiaries are different. In this case, this was really, you know, we were trying to benefit all partners and keep everybody on that equilibrium. And so I would just I would just point out that that distinction, because I think I think in generally I'm I've I would be more in favor and probably am in favor of of more freedom for workers. In this case, the workers being anesthesiologists in those sorts of models. But, you know, I think our our motivation was was uh, was different. The beneficiaries were different. So that was just one final point that I that I that I would draw.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I think if you know there's a homogeneity of you know employees being all partners in your practice, it's it's a totally different animal, and I 100% agree.
0: Right, that's that's the good word homogeneity. Thank you.
1: Well, Dr. Scott Vanderleest, President of Bellingham Anesthesia Associates, thank you very much for joining us today on APM Success.
0: Yeah, very good. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate the opportunity, and thanks thanks for uh, what you do.
1: If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.